Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of Mid Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you back this week. Uh, thank you for being a part of our audience, and and thank you for uh, being a part of this experience of this community. It is really a blast uh, doing this, and it's really a blast having you. And uh, just stay tuned for more because we have a lot more that we are very excited to debut for you. But for today, for this episode today, um, I want to introduce to you uh, an individual who I think gives a very good interview in a, about a very important topic. Um, his name is Alexander McCobin. He is the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, and he is a uh, founder of Students for Liberty. Um, of course, Students for Liberty, uh, we, we had a, a big panel with, with several individuals at this International Students for Liberty conference this past February. Um, we are all more likely to go back uh, this in next March, I believe it is. Um, but he was the one who, who started that entire movement. And we get into a wide array of topics, but most importantly, we talk about what I consider to be the most important answer that we could possibly have in convincing other people that, that what we're talking about, this idea of liberty, is the right answer. And that is the morality of business and the morality of the marketplace. And I don't think that we can truly drive our point home until we really understand and really sharpen our argument when it comes to this point right here. We talk about that. We talk about um, some, uh, I mean, a lot of different things, honestly. Objectivism, uh, Ayn Rand, we get into a little bit of her, uh, some points where she was very right, but some points where she could have made her argument a little bit better, perhaps. And of course, we talk about his backstory and how he shifted from his role uh, at Students for Liberty to where he is today with Conscious Capitalism. So with all that being said, uh, please sit back. This is an, inter an interview that I know that you will have um, a, a lot of enjoyment, that you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of. Please sit back and enjoy my interview with Alexander McCobin. I really appreciate your your time and uh, your your willingness to come on this program. It's really good having you here. It's all my pleasure. I, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So let's let's start off with you just telling us and and uh, just you know kind of telling the audience, diving a little bit into your story and how um, how you you came to the idea of, of uh, forming a, a group like. Well, first of all, Students for Liberty, and then how that transferred into where you are right now with Conscious Capitalism. So I could start with uh, my, grow my growing up in Pennsylvania and the values that instilled in me and things that happened there. But really, I think I'll just start in college where okay. during undergrad, even though I was a philosophy student, I was very interested in organizing based around the principles that I cared about. I started one nonprofit, first off, a for-profit uh, debate camp that turned into a nonprofit organization to serve underprivileged youth in the Philadelphia area, and then decided to also start a club to reflect my political philosophy, and realized at, at first that 
even though I might have originally thought there weren't others who shared a belief in the principles of liberty on campus, there actually were a lot of people who did. And starting a student group, the Penn Libertarians, provided a platform for us to meet one another and taught me so many lessons about how to organize, how to bring people together in the first place. So when I became a senior in college, I was meeting other students from other schools who were interested in the same ideas, who were running their own clubs. And we decided to put on what we thought would be a one-time conference for 30 students to share best practices that turned into a 100-person conference with students coming from three countries and 42 schools. We decided to turn that into what we thought would be a small nonprofit organization with the idea being to just serve a handful of student groups each year to help them grow and spread the ideas of liberty to other young people. And over the course of a decade, Students for Liberty grew into something we never could have imagined at the time. An organization with about 2,000 student groups in over 100 countries, running 100 conferences a year for 20,000 attendees, training 1,500 volunteer leaders every year that were doing incredible things like going off and starting really revolutions in their countries, peaceful revolutions. Students in Brazil, teenagers who went through SFL training, ended up starting the protest movement that called for reforms, challenged corruption in Brazil, and ultimately led to the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, which the president of Brazil. Absolutely incredible results that we never could have predicted when we started Students for Liberty because we were a bunch of kids just trying to figure out what the heck to do. And it turned into something absolutely amazing. And during that time, I, I was involved in a number of other projects as well. I worked at the Cato Institute for a year. I went to graduate school studying philosophy, thinking that I would become an academic. But kept getting pulled back to the organizing side and so realized I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in the ivory tower as noble as that is. It wasn't for me. And after focusing on Students for Liberty for a while, Conscious Capitalism, another nonprofit organization that existed whose purpose is to elevate humanity through business, began searching for someone to come in to really help scale the organization up, turn it into a global movement as well. I've been to a few of their events before. I knew some of the individuals involved and was terribly impressed and enamored by the philosophy. And when the organization invited me to join as co-CEO at the time, it was an opportunity I knew I couldn't turn down because I wanted to play my part in this movement now, the movement of, that's building up business as a force for good and transforming the world through business. And I am absolutely honored and humbled to have the role of CEO for Conscious Capitalism today and to see this organization growing as well now. Um, a, a few points that I want to touch on there. First of all, how because today in, in today's uh, political atmosphere, as hostile as it may seem um, for a lot of young people on college campuses, really the environment has it's it's never been better to, for a young person to find a, a freedom organization um, on their campus, which at the time that you started this, at, at the time that you started Students for Liberty, that just was not the, was, it was not the case. Uh, not anywhere near the same, the same caliber 
Um, what was that like uh, to have such a, was it that much of a different atmosphere at the time? Or, or is it uh, just similar, just with, with, uh, with different variables to take into account? <laughs> oh, the dark ages really is mm-hmm. what they were. It, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's, it's, I think to a certain extent, almost impossible for students today to understand what it was like a decade and a half ago when I started in college and a decade ago when Students for Liberty was just getting started. Because you're right, at the time, there were no organizations on campus bringing young pro-liberty individuals together, providing resources for pro-liberty student groups to be formed. There were great nonprofits out there, like the Institute for Humane Studies, the Foundation for Economic Education. But they were all focused on teaching the principles and largely having students go to other seminars to do it. There was nothing to really support the growth of student groups on campuses. And I look at the global student movement for liberty today and just how strong Students for Liberty continues to, to, to be and to thrive now. And it boggles my mind when I was in college I thought it was an incredible feat and I thought it was unheard of for us to bring a hundred students from across the globe together who shared these views. At the time, that was considered an amazing achievement because no one had done that before. Today, a hundred person conference for Students for Liberty in Indonesia or in in any part of the globe, any corner you want to imagine, is considered just a regular occurrence. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing, I mean, it is impressive, the amount of work that people put into those events. Every single one is amazing, but that happens on a regular basis now. When back in 2008, at the first Students for Liberty conference, it, it seemed miraculous, frankly. Right. And I, and I think that that's, I mean, you can even look at, at organizations within the country here. Uh, different organizations like Young Americans for Liberty, for example, or uh, just just different groups, and and they're putting on all these different conferences, and they're drawing you know four hundred, five hundred plus um, you know people to their conferences, or even just to their regional conferences, let alone their national conferences, um, and and that is is when you look at the at the at the growth and the and the time span that it took to build up to something like that for young people to even want to go to to listen to these ideas that i i just find that to be incredible the the amount of growth that that has occurred and transpired um in the movement i absolutely agree that there's a line from bill gates that i think reflects how much this has grown in such in this period of time which is that most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. Hmm. And that perfectly encapsulates the way that I, I've seen the student movement for liberty grow and students for liberty in particular. We, we may not have hit all of our goals that we set out every year, but by Jove, but after a decade, the first <laughs> student for liberty conference was in 2008. This is beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah, that's that's really incredible to think about because I was I was just at the last uh, Students for Liberty conference and just the 
just the sheer size and, and influence that you could tell with, with people from all over the world coming to, to Washington, D.C. there. Um, it, was, it was really a, an empowering and, and sobering uh, experience. Um, so I, I do want to, to shift just slightly into your current role with Conscious Capitalism. Talk to me about the philosophy specifically of Conscious Capitalism and what it is that, uh, that, that you're trying to achieve there. So Conscious Capitalism is a way of thinking about business and capitalism that better reflects the human nature of this endeavor. Conscious capitalism believes that business is the greatest force for good in the world, but the way that you unleash the potential of business to elevate humanity to be this force for good is to have businesses run on four tenets. One, one being a higher purpose than just maximizing net income. Mm -hmm. Second is stakeholder orientation, not overemphasizing a single stakeholder group such as shareholders or investors, but rather making sure that you're creating value for every individual that the business touches. Third, conscious leadership. Recognizing the need and the power for leaders to not just have analytic and emotional intelligence, but also systemic and spiritual intelligence to bring about the values they care about in, the, in these organizations and in the world. And fourth, conscious culture making sure that you not only have a strategic plan for the programs and operations of the business that achieve your goals, but that you're cultivating a culture that where people interact with one another in a way that's based upon respect and empathy that is going to lead to long-term success for the organization. And if more businesses are run on these principles, we not only believe that's going to unleash the potential of business to make people's lives better, that also creates a different narrative about business in the world where people better understand how business is this force for good. And so as an organization, we are actively building a community of like-minded business people who believe this, providing them with resources to run their businesses on these principles, and then sharing stories of these businesses with the media, academia, social organizations, to highlight how and how and why people ought to look to business and engage business as a way of making the world a better place. You know, I, I really got to say that the idea behind um, an organization like this is, is really appealing to me because it really strikes kind of at the heart at this, at this cartoon-like idea that most Americans today have um, about you know the 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 capitalist boogeyman that just runs around and exploits workers and you know and does all these things uh, for for their for the benefit of their own pocketbook as opposed to the benefit of their own um, of of their employees and and their and the consumers and and that is just economically on a on a logical standpoint it doesn't make sense because first of all nobody's going to want to you know. To work for you, if if that's how you treat your your employees or your customers, um, but uh, what I like about this is that it it shows people on a face value. It, it takes away the numbers, not takes away, but it it uh, 
dives beyond the numbers. It dives beyond the the theories and the white papers and all these things, um, and it shows uh basically at face value like we all are the marketplace there there is no you know it's not some evil maniacal uh boogeyman with a with a top hat and a monocle and a, a cigar smoked room it's 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 all of us that's right and libertarians have talked about this for a long time they talk about how the market is us but the, but the arguments and the analysis rarely actually reflect that. Mm-hmm. Conscious capitalism presents a different case for capitalism that actually is premised on the fact that businesses are groups of people, that an economy is nothing more than an aggregation of individuals. But that aggregation includes the values they represent, the culture that's developed, and the need to think about more than just net profit or selfish motives. And part of the reason I think people have this caricature of business people as evil, greedy, destructive forces is that a number of figures that I have tremendous respect for overall actually made these bad arguments. They gave the caricature to enemies of the free market system. And I'll call attention to two clear examples of this. The first is Milton Friedman with his claim that the social responsibility of business is to maximize profit. If you read his article, he actually has interesting analysis in there that I don't think is too far off. I don't think, but I also, from from the way that businesses actually operate or what their obligations ought to be. But that analysis is very different actually from the claim that the responsibility of business is to maximize profit because he builds in a number of key assumptions like Profit is reflective of value created, that that value is created from anew rather than taken from one person and given to another and a host of other things that's not actually built into that phrase. But that phrase is all people remember and that's and that that's all they go off of with it. And so in an effort to try to popularize a particular view that of corporate responsibility, Friedman gave created this boogeyman image for business people. The same thing happened with Ayn Rand and her claim that selfishness is a virtue. The virtue and the social responsibility of businesses to maximize profit is what we would now call today clickbait. It's not necessarily reflective of what these people really believed or the right analysis, but boy, it got eyeballs for viewers. It got people to buy books and articles and that made it worthwhile at the time. And we are paying the price for that today. I'm glad you brought up Ayn Rand because uh, that's, that's something I wanted to, to touch on. Because a lot of libertarians, while I, I have a lot of respect for Ayn Rand and, and sort of how she contributed to the movement, um, I, I do think that it kind of paints a very negative image on a societal standpoint, because when, when most people that aren't libertarians, because we're, I mean, let's face it, we're odd children. Um, <laughs> when most people look at something like what Ayn Rand says, it's, it's rather harsh and it doesn't seem to have um, any concern or compassion for uh, anyone else. It's, well, you know, you fell down so you can pick yourself back up. Um, talk to me about the difference between... Um, selfishness and, and rational self-interest and how important is it 
um, to really make that distinction in in how business works as opposed to you know the the distinction that yeah you can have some self-interest but that doesn't make you a bad person versus what Ayn Rand talks about with with the virtue of selfishness this is a complicated question for me to answer because I I've been very rooted in the philosophy of objectivism in the past I've Mm -hmm. studied this I I I was pretty heavily involved in the quote-unquote objectivist movement for a while and I've got a lot of opinions on this a lot of thoughts okay but perfect I'll say, what I'll say here is that again I think Ayn Rand was you use the term selfishness because it's something that's easy for people to understand even if they understand it to mean something that she doesn't think it means mm-hmm. she tried to redefine a term in a way that no one else agrees with but more at a deeper level, Rand in using selfishness as the as a virtue and the antithesis to selflessness actually undermined her own position in my mind because she was buying into what she would call the altruist game. She actually was buying into the whole concept that there is this dichotomy between my interest and your interest, and so I need to prioritize has my interest over yours that doesn't actually make sense to me that's not that's not only not what the free market is based upon which is value for value trade and creation it's not even what i think ayn rand really meant objectivism to be based upon she i i I think objectivism is more rooted in value creation itself and getting past thinking about us about me versus you which is still which is still playing into that old conception of how to think about morality and she really went awry there in my opinion it, it, it's much better instead I, I think to consider what creates value for everyone involved me you anyone that might be impacted by the trade we're about to undergo that's what it's all about um so Tell me what are some uh, some challenges in, in getting people to understand that you have faced and getting people to understand that there is, in fact, a conscious side and a, and a moral side to, to capitalism. There is a moral side to the marketplace. What are, what's, what's some of the, the challenges that you have faced in, in trying to, to convince people to understand that? It, it is a shame that I too often hear people respond to the name of the organization by asking, isn't conscious capitalism an oxymoron? Um, (laughs) That is is a stereotype out there that we want to actively work against and is why conscious capitalism exists. Mm -hmm. Our vision for the future is that capitalism means conscious capitalism and that this is no longer a question anymore. At a certain level, there is this inherent goodness to capitalism. It's free, it's voluntary exchange between individuals. It is value creation, no one being forced to work for another person. All of these amazing things. And the history of capitalism, the past 200 years, has been remarkable for humanity. There has been no force that has benefited more people, especially the least well off in the world, as capitalism. The evidence is overwhelming, but the challenge is that we've had that people who support the free market have 
done a bad job defending it. I, I mean, it's not just Milton Friedman and Ayn Rand. It's also a lot of capitalists themselves who oftentimes don't want to defend the free market. Maybe they actually oppose it for various reasons. And maybe they, all, they just don't quite understand the larger system in which they operate because they're so focused on running their business that they're not thinking about the larger macroeconomic situation. And so, and, and so I think it's incumbent upon us in making a case for capitalism to recognize the human nature of it and to so make a better argument for capitalism than what's been offered by predecessors, but also to show the human side of business itself, to show that, to tell the stories of people who start businesses to help others, of people leading businesses, the challenges they face, and their intentions behind this. It's not that, it's not that they're doing something without profit in mind. Profit is, is really important. That's actually what allows businesses to grow and have a greater impact on the world. But tell the stories of how, there, how so many businesses and business leaders are trying to help other people out, and business is actually the best way to create a sustainable model that will help people in the, in the long run oftentimes even in the short run, and put a face on the people and the organizations that are trying to do this. Um, that, that's something that I, I think is, is really powerful. And, um, and really, it's, it's ultimately, I think, the best argument that we have in, in the liberty movement that we aren't utilizing nearly enough is that the market is not only not only the right system it's not only uh it it not only makes sense on a numerical or on on you know on the papers but it's a moral system it's it's what is actually uh morally right for humanity and and that's something that uh you know libertarians love logic and libertarians love reason and and that's 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 fantastic but at the same time that doesn't necessarily hit with people on uh, on an emotional or on an empathetic level, the way that making the the painfully easy moral case for capitalism uh, is, and I, I think that's just absolutely fantastic. I, I completely agree with you, and here's another layer to that. It's not about making the right argument for capitalism. It's not even about necessarily telling the right story for capitalism. It is also largely being the best representatives of capitalism possible too. Going past what do you tell people to, what do you show them? Mm -hmm. We need more business people to show the power of capitalism, to talk about what they're doing, to interact with others and explain it in such a way that people connect with them. And that's another way of sharing the story and, and actually making a difference in people's lives through the free market. Um, so you previously mentioned just a few minutes ago that you were heavily into um, objectivism. What kind of libertarian would you classify yourself as right now? <laughs> um, can I say the kind of libertarian who doesn't like to put labels on himself? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, including, including that as well, because... 
look, I, I still strongly support the principles of liberty. I, I believe in free market capitalism. I believe in individual liberty and in social realms. But mm-hmm. the, every time you try to label something, the the idea is to divide. It's about it's not just about saying what you're for and who you're with but oftentimes also who you're against. And so I really would love to see us move away from these labels and, and delineating different parts of the, the liberty movement and even and even saying even even that term to a certain extent, although I have no problem with the term libertarian, I love it. But focus more on how we can be inclusive of others and collaborate with more people instead of de- delineate focusing on the differences between our between ourselves and other libertarians or people who would not apply that term libertarian to themselves. But guess what? Probably agree on 80, 90 percent of the issues who live their lives in accordance by these principles and who really are allies and are part of the same tribe. They just don't like that term. What what are some of your your big goals that you have that you hope to achieve moving forward um, with conscious capitalism, uh, in contrast to some of your goals that you had when you were over at SFL, and and you know how how did some of those goals overlap in a sense? So to a certain extent, that when you're building an organization, you're following the you're following a lot of the same general principles, mm-hmm. building up a strong team, developing a, a sustainable financial model coming up with new programs that create value for your stakeholders and customers. And and for both Students for Liberty and Conscious Capitalism, it's about building a global movement. Students for Liberty is thriving there. Conscious Capitalism is on its way. And I'm, But I'm really excited for when we get to the point that we have operations in 100 countries around the world, when we are putting on hundreds, thousands of events a year and developing new resources to support the different stakeholders involved. But conscious capitalism is a very different organization. We're not political. We are focused on a completely different demographic. And the, I think the potential for conscious capitalism is absolutely tremendous because we're talking about unleashing one of the, the most powerful forces in the world for one of the greatest causes possible for making human, for elevating humanity. And I'm, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like in the next 3, 10, 30 years, but I think it's going to be incredibly exciting if conscious capitalism can take root, as I expect it to do so, in the business world and in society, in unleashing this potential that business has. Uh, So in all of your experience, would you say that the world is becoming safer or more hostile to these ideas of, of markets and of, of free markets, free minds, of liberty, of capitalism? Again, that's a tough question to answer and a, com- and a complex one. Mm-hmm. I think an easier question to answer is whether I think the world is becoming freer and more supportive of capitalism. And there, I actually think the answer is yes. I think very clearly we have seen tremendous progress over the course of the last several hundred years towards a freer market, freer association between individuals. And I'm really excited about that. There's still more work to be done. There's no question that we that the, that the that capitalism 
could continue to be improved. But that's also it. Capitalism itself can improve as well. And it, it largely comes down to the practice of conscious capitalism, not just the ideas. So I think, I think overall, the answer to get to your more difficult question, what's the environment like for the ideas? I think, I don't know if the world is safer or more hostile to them. I think there is a greater opportunity now for the idea of capitalism and liberty to thrive and succeed than ever before, not only because there's greater practice of this than ever before, but also because there is greater access to information than ever before. And that allows more people to learn about the theory behind the practice, to evaluate the data themselves, and to connect with more people who are practicing capitalism and to understand what this means at an emotional level as well as an analytical level that wasn't really available before. Mm -hmm. So so I'm going to go with it's, it's becoming a, a, a more friendly environment for people to learn about these ideas. And I am optimistic that over the long run, we are going to see more people support capitalism and I think as conscious capitalism and a greater practice of capitalism at large and conscious capitalism in particular. It, I, I do agree with that. Um, and specifically because it's, I mean, there, there's a lot of instances that people can point to, to how, you know, negative the world is becoming and how uh, detrimental it all seems. But at the end of the day, um, we have never been more interconnected as a as as a as a globe as a world um and we have never it's never been easier to to connect with people uh take down barriers uh reach across borders um you know poverty as uh, as i'm sure you know is is never been lower in the history of the world global poverty and that's i mean that's that's liberating that's that's empowering and and government will always have to play catch up with that and that's always been what they have been doing and whenever they they finally grab something it's like well the marketplace is already two or three or five steps ahead of them and you know oftentimes especially when people think about politics because politics is a zero-sum game they're yeah. winners and losers business is not business is a positive-sum game where everyone benefits when it's done properly right that that People often, people often ask, or the way that it's presented is that we're looking to win some war, and then once that once that happens, it's it's over. As if this is as if there is a single moment that's going to end all of this. That's never true. Yeah, it's it's not a struggle. It's 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 life. Right. Life (laughs) about repeating things. Life is about constantly learning, constantly relearning. Frankly, it's about going it's about doing the same thing and continually improving yourself and as more people come into existence teaching them how to live and and what the world is like and figuring out new ways to interact with them so this is part of what it means to live to learn more about liberty and other people in the world and to improve our interactions with it and that's not that's not something to 
become depressed by or to be, feel like it's a burden. It's it's an opportunity for us to continually improve and do better. Um, so some some lightning round uh, questions, if you will. <laughs> uh, just uh, I want to get a little bit more um, and learn a little bit more about about what makes you you. So first of all, I would like to know what was what was the one thing that that shaped your worldview um, the most? If you could just point to just like one thing that was like this is the instance or this is uh, the person or the book or whatever it may be, uh, what was that aha moment for you? My father. Your father. He, no one taught me more than him and. To this day, I I have a reminder for his most important lessons for me every day. What has been the greatest shift in your ideology? Probably my 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 shift away from a a more traditional reading of objectivism, I'll say, and that's something that took that occurred slowly over years, but but started to lead to some pretty radical division, uh, differences between myself and, and my beliefs and what most people would say is the standard interpretation of objectivism. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a, a little bit of a prediction. Um, what do you think uh, will be the biggest issue that <clears throat> we in the, in the liberty movement will face in the years to come um accepting new individuals into the movement i think i can agree with that yeah um what and and in particular what i mean there is that it's really easy to be a big fish in a small pond and Uh a lot of like that if if this is going to really have the impact that it should it's going to become a much bigger pond and that's going to change things and some people i think are going to thrive in that environment and they're going to support it because that means we're creating a freer world not everyone is going to like that though libertarians tend to to <laughs> tend to uh take take pride in their and their uh minority or or difference status in in the political sphere so so definitely making that pond bigger will make certain people uncomfortable for sure. I, I can definitely see that. Uh, what what book has been the most influential to you? I've been asked this a number of times, and honestly at this point, I have a list of 40 books that I would say have defined who I am and, it ha- and over different phases of my life. So it, I, I can't point to a single one. I'll say that most recently, the some the books that are influencing me the most would be things like um, the Learning Organization, or I, I don't even know if that's the right name for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just go with the easy answer right now. Actually, and say Conscious Capitalism, obviously, and and I don't just mean that because I'm working for Conscious Capitalism now, but because it really does present a stronger defense of the free market and an explanation for how to unleash the transformative potential of businesses than I think most any other work out there. All right. Well, um, Alexander, this has been fun. I, I really do appreciate the work that, that you are doing. 
Um, and I, I really do believe that the approach that, that you are, are going about this is absolutely the right approach that we cannot get enough of in the world to, to show people that there is a moral side to this argument. It's not just, it's not just the, the analytics and the, and the logic and reason, but there is a, a substance of, of heart behind it. Um, and, and I think that's absolutely the right way to go. Why don't you tell people where they can find you online and on social media? So for Conscious Capitalism, it's ConsciousCapitalism.org. Our Twitter handle is ConsciousCap, and Facebook is Conscious Capitalism. For me personally, uh, my website is McCobin.com. My Facebook is McCobin, and my Twitter is amacobin. And uh, love to keep the conversation going with anyone who wants to reach out. All right, that sounds perfect. And, of course, you all can find me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. Um, you can follow the show at MyLiberty. Be sure to like and uh, give us a rating and a, a review on iTunes and subscribe to us uh, so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And until next week, we'll see you. <laughs>